So we're in 1 Peter chapter 5. We've been studying God's word through 1 Peter. We've titled this message, Leading in Times of Crisis. When we were praying and really seeking the Lord as to what book it is that he wanted us to go through, in the final chapter and season of this ministry here at this location, before we move this forward, the Lord really pressed upon my heart to go to 1 Peter, a book in where we can learn a book that is very applicable for today, especially in the times of crisis, suffering, in the time of trial that we're living in. So here, Peter is encouraging the persecuted church, and he's telling them to continue. He's giving them hope. He's giving them encouragement. And the church here, as they're being persecuted, not only are they being persecuted, but he's explaining to them to continue to watch the way that they behave and live. So now he's exhorting in the final chapter of this first letter to the leaders. How are they to be serving in the last days? Because times of crisis, notice this church, please, however you came, even this morning, times of suffering call for strong leadership. Do you know that everyone today is looking for one thing, and that's leadership? Because leadership gives people stability in the hour of crisis, and here he's going to speak to the shepherds, to the leaders now. And notice as he's telling them, as he's teaching them in times of persecution, that this demands, these times demand now, that people have adequate spiritual leadership. In fact, someone once said that leadership is made for times of crisis. Leadership is made for times of uncertainty. And here he's going to talk to the leaders or to the shepherds. In fact, there are some leaders oftentimes that run away in times of difficulty. And they're only proving that they are hirelings and not really shepherds. That leader that runs away in the hour of difficulty is only proving that he is a hireling and not a shepherd. Jesus said that the hireling sees danger and runs and leaves the sheep away, but the shepherd is there to protect the sheep and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Now this is awesome because he's going to tell us the ministry and the work of the shepherd. What is the ministry and the work of a shepherd or of a leader or of a pastor? And you would ask yourself, well, you're not, I'm not a shepherd. <laughs> well, you are as you shepherd your children, as you shepherd your families, as you lead them and as you guide them now. And the ministry of the shepherd is very simple, is to hear his voice and to lead his people to hear the voice of God and to lead the people in the direction that God is showing the shepherd. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and notice this, they follow me. <laughs> you know what the sheep do? They follow the shepherd's voice. They recognize the shepherd's voice, and they go to be fed where the shepherd is at. And now he's going to speak here and give counsel and advice to the leadership here that the fiery trial is about to happen, and he wants them to be prepared. Are you prepared for the hour of trial? Are you prepared today? Because today we're going to receive preparation now. And he gives us four exhortations as to how to be prepared in the time of crisis. Now, number one is be loving. I want you to write that down if you like taking notes and being students of God's word in order to prepare yourself. 
for the fiery trial is that you would remain loving. Number two, that you would be humble. It requires that we become humble and that we remain humble. Number three, that we be watchful and vigilant, always watching and being vigilant of the attacks of the enemy. And finally, number four, to be hopeful, to look forward to the promise of eternal life. Now he says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you because today we can come and do what we've always done, and that's stay in the word of God and be fed by your word. So we ask right now that you would show us and that you would teach us how to prepare ourselves for the days that we're living in. How to be prepared in the fiery trial. Because it's not about if we will face trials, it's about when we face trials, how will we respond. So teach us in your word how to respond. It is in Jesus' name we pray and together we said, amen. Now notice that in the first two verses... He exhorts the leaders to be loving. You know, there are times in our world right now when we look at the things that are taking place and we want to become very angry. And oftentimes, as we become very angry, our emotions lead us to sin. But he's telling the church, as you are being persecuted because of your faith, remain loving. Notice what he says here now. The elders who are among you, he's exhorting the leadership. He's exhorting the shepherds. He says here, I exhort. That word exhort means I encourage. I appeal to the elders. The word elder is another word for bishop, or it's the word where we receive an overseer. And the elder that he's referring to, it's not an elder by age. It's an elder by spiritual maturity. So he's not speaking to the elders by age, but those that are appointed by spiritual maturity to lead the flock of God. To the spiritual leaders, notice what he says in verse 1. I who am a fellow elder, I who also am a leader, I also who know what it's like to lead the flock, but not only a leader, also a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory which is to be revealed. Now notice what he says here, I'm also a leader. I'm also a witness now. What's a witness? I can tell you of what I have seen, Peter is saying, and I can tell you of what I have heard now, so I'm giving witness as a leader and also as an elder of the suffering that Christ had. Now, do you see here that this is an eyewitness account that Peter is giving to the churches? But not only is he an elder, not only is he a witness of what took place to Christ, he's also here a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. And he says this, to stimulate them or to motivate them now for ministry. Now, why is this important to exhort the elders? It's important because during times of persecution, notice this church, or during times of trial now, 
Believers in the church and believers in the assembly always look to their leaders for encouragement and for direction. So he's saying, I must exhort you. Because right now the church is going through trials. Right now the church is going through persecution. Right now the church is going through tribulation. So they're going to look to you for direction. They're going to look to you for leadership now. And if the leaders of the church are not moving forward in this time, then the church will also not move forward in this time. Do you see why it's important to concentrate on leadership? Because everything rises and falls on leadership. So as the leaders of the church go forward, so the church goes forward as well. But now he's going to tell us the qualities that make for a successful leader. Notice here the exhortation he gives them in verse 2. Shepherd the flock which is among you. <laughs> That's the exhortation. To the leaders, during this time, I want to encourage you to shepherd the flock. What, is it wor- what does the word shepherd mean? What does the ministry of a shepherd do? Well, the shepherd leads, the shepherd cares, and the shepherd also feeds. What does the shepherd ought to do here in times of crisis? To protect the sheep now from any type of false or any type of danger of the wolves or false teachings. The shepherd ought to care now for the sheep and to provide them direction in these times. The shepherd also ought to feed and to teach now the sheep and take them to the best pastures possible. But notice what he says, shepherd them. Don't drive the sheep, guide the sheep. (laughs) Do you see how the shepherd's nature is a loving nature that ought to guide the sheep in grace and in truth? But he notices that he says here in verse 2, which is among you the flock of God. And I love that. It's so encouraging. Shepherd the flock of God. It's not your flock, he's saying. It is God's flock. It's not your own. In fact, this flock was assigned to you. This flock was entrusted to you, and it is among you. So the shepherd should realize that that is God's people. And he should be among the flock and among the people. He's saying watch over them as an overseer with the right motivation, not with self-interest. So that they live according to God's word. Notice that he says this now, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now I want you to lead, and I don't want you to be forced leading. Don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it by compulsion. Don't complain. Don't be lazy. Don't be forced as if this was a duty. But understand, shepherds, elders, leaders, this is your calling. And do it as a calling and not as a duty. In fact, he goes on in this verse 2 and 3. He says, not by compulsion, but willingly from the heart now. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Oftentimes you see leaderships in church that what they want to do is lead people but for dishonest gain now for what they can get out of it and they're very covetous in the position of leadership he said don't do it for what you're going to receive but do it eagerly because you want to serve people and because you love people in fact he goes on in this next verse and he says not being lords over them lead them as a servant Have you ever seen someone lead as a Lord over them? (laughs) Well, these people are assigned to you. 
And this, this now leadership that he's referring to in verse 3, where he says, don't be lords over them, he implies that there's a style of leadership that leads with manipulation or with intimidation and fear. So he's saying, don't lead them as a master, lead them as a servant. Isn't this amazing here? Lead them as a servant now, as a humble servant. Think about Jesus, how Jesus led his disciples. And he humbled himself. He girded himself. He put aside now his robes and he clothed himself with humility, which is true spiritual leadership. And he was a leader that was for the people. You see, the shepherds are there for the people. The people are not to be there for the shepherds. And he's exhorting them in times of crisis, understand what is your calling. So he says, not being lords over them, of those who were entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So how are you an example to a flock? By being a servant. He's saying this is not a dictatorship, but a leadership. You can't drive the sheep. You must go before them. You must continue to lead them. Why was he telling them this? Because it was too easy to compromise when times became difficult. Do you know how many pastors and leaders this last year are compromising when it comes to the truth? Because it's too difficult to be bold? Because it's becoming harder and more challenging to stand for the truth? Oftentimes we see that even in church, we have a lot of celebrities, but not enough servants. And he's saying, I want you to leave them as an example, as a servant. Do it with a passion for your calling, a divine calling, and an urgency for the people. This is your God-given responsibility. Not as an overlord now, but an overseer. That you're watching over them. Now notice here the reward to that shepherd that watches over the sheep. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that doesn't fade away. Isn't this awesome that he refers to Jesus, the chief shepherd, and he's going to appear again? In fact, what he's saying is that we will be held accountable to Christ as how we lead people. We will be held accountable to Christ, the chief shepherd, as to how we lead his people. Notice, not only is it a chief shepherd that we see here in 1 Peter chapter 5, but in 1 Peter 2, he calls Jesus the shepherd who cares for the sheep. In fact, he said this, for you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. You have a shepherd, you have an overseer that is watching over us. He's called the shepherd. In, in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus speaks about himself, and he calls himself the good shepherd. <laughs> Isn't this awesome? He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then finally, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, the apostle refers to Jesus as the great shepherd. <laughs> he says this, Now may the God of peace who brought you up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of everlasting covenant. So we have a shepherd. We have a chief shepherd. We have a good shepherd. And we have the, that great shepherd all in Jesus. But when he appears, what does that mean? At the revelation, when Jesus now evaluates the work as to how you led people, if you lead them the right way, you will receive the crown of never-ending glory. You will receive a reward for leading people in the Christ 
coming or at his coming and in his kingdom to those that served faithfully as shepherds according to these previous guidelines that served with love and that served with faithfulness. Now, do you see that the shepherd ought to cultivate relationship with Jesus Christ so that he also can lead the people now? Because here the way you will grow, the way you grow personally, is the way that the people that you lead will grow as well. So he's saying, love the people that you're serving. Love them. Be loving in times now of crisis. And he moves now to a subject that he already talked about, and that was submission. Loving, but now loving submission. You know, submission doesn't work. We, we cannot submit to one another unless we're first submitted to God. And oftentimes we are rebelling. Oftentimes there are divisions amongst one another because we're not submitted to God. But submission, truly what it means at its core, submission means humility. And it's the fundamental attitude of spiritual maturity. You want to see someone that is mature in the Lord, that person is submitting, right? Because if we are submitted to God now, the trials that we go through will force us to grow and discover new truths about the Lord and new opportunities to get to know Him more. So here he's going to tell us in the next here two, three verses, not only to be loving, but also the second one, to be humble. Isn't this what we need today, to be humble? And he, he tells us or he teaches us to be humble now and to be watchful and to be hopeful now. So let's read here verse 5 as he's teaching us to be humble. He says this, likewise, you younger people, not only the elders or not only the leadership, but those that are still growing in the Lord now. Submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and clothe with humility. Do you see here the attitude that we ought to have and to remain in during times of trial and tribulation in the church? You see, it is very sad to see that when the, ch the world is divided, so is the church. <laughs> a church that is divided will never reach a world that needs Jesus. You know what a world, the, the world needs right now? is a church that's united. A, a church that is united by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it only happens in submission. Not Christians that are divided against one another, but those that are standing in truth with now submission now, with honor. And he says this in verse 5. He says, likewise, younger people, submit yourself or show honor and respect to the spiritual leadership. You must respect the authority that God has given them now and be submissive. That you would follow the leadership that they're providing. In fact, he says, yes, you all be submissive. Notice this, to one, to the other. We are never in submission one to the other if we are out of submission with the Lord. But notice that he gives us the key to submission, clothed with humility. See, that word right there, clothed with humility, in this verse, verse 5, it, it, it speaks of someone that's tying a knot or tying a bow very carefully. <laughs> clothed with humility. It speaks of almost of a slave or a servant that was putting on an apron on his clothes to keep himself clean. Put on now the clothes of a servant. <laughs> Not the clothes of entitlement, but the clothes of a servant. You know why you see a lot of division? Because you also see a lot of entitlement and pride. You will never find submission with pride, but only with humility. 
And, and when here he's exhorting now those that are under that leadership to submit now to leaders. In fact, he's saying lack of submission to elders, it's what makes ministry more difficult and it forfeits the grace of God. When we're living in pride, what does it do? It forfeits the grace of God in our life. In fact, he says this in the next verse, verse 5. God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. What does God resist? God resists the proud. So humility is important for us because God does not accept pride in his presence. God doesn't accept pride in his presence now. Someone once said humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Notice this, it's thinking of ourselves less. <laughs> Oftentimes we think we're humble because we think very low of ourselves. Well, true humility is not thinking of yourself at all. <laughs> and he's saying here, well, you know why you should be humble? Because God now resists the proud, but those that come humbly to them, he gives more grace. You want grace in your life right now? Then you have to come to the Lord in humility. You can't expect to receive grace if you come to the Lord in pride. And that's what he's telling them. Humble yourself. In fact, with that being said, verse 6, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, I love this verse, verse 6 here, because it says, humble yourself. <laughs> And when we read this verse, we, we know, we realize very quickly that it's much easier for you to humble yourself than for God to have to humble you. <laughs> it's so important that we humble ourselves because it's more difficult when He has to humble us. And you know what He says? Under the mighty hand of God. I love this. It says to take rank under. It's almost a military order. Take your rank under now the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God speaks of a sovereign purpose and plan of God in obedience. So submit yourself, notice this, to God's purpose and plan for your life. That's what he's saying. Submit yourself right now as you are suffering to God's purpose and plan that he may exalt you in due time. You know what he's talking about? Obey the Lord in his God-given plan to you so that he can exalt you in which time? In his time. You see, God will lift us up, and God will lift you up wisely. It is wisely appointed time now to those who are submissive. You know what the problem is? Is that we want to exalt ourselves. But exaltation comes from humiliation. <laughs> when we come to the Lord and say, Lord, we are nothing, we need you, Jesus. And notice what it says in due time, and not in your time, in his time. <laughs> Oftentimes we want the Lord to exalt us right now. We want the Lord to open the door right now. But when you humble yourself, the Lord prepares you when you are obedient to his plan. You know what? You notice what he does? In his due time, he will exalt you now, and he will lift you up. Why? Because exaltation doesn't come from the east or from the west. Exaltation comes from the Lord. He raises one up, and he puts down another. That's what the word of God says. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 14? Whoever exalts himself, he shall be humbled. But he who humbles himself, he will be exalted. You know one of the evidences of the lack of submission and humility in our lives is when we're impatient with God. <laughs> when you start to be impatient with God's timing. When you start to become impatient 
with God's purpose and plan for your life. You know what that, that's revealing of, that's manifesting? A lack of spiritual submission. We have to submit to his work in our lives, and we also have to submit, notice this, to his timing. Trust the timing of God in your life. Are you trusting his timing? Because when you trust his timing, what that shows is that you're submitted to him. And one of the evidences of our pride is our impatience. That's why one of the reasons for suffering is that we would learn patience and humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, we trust you. We trust your sovereign plan and hand over us. And we know that in your perfect timing, you know what you're doing, Lord. Now, as you humble yourself, notice what you can do. Because you cannot do this next verse without first humbling yourself. It is impossible to do it. It says this in verse 7. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. <laughs> you can't cast your cares in pride. You know what pride chooses to do? To hold on to the cares because pride wants to be in control. You know what pride wants to do is, is take those cares and try to, in the work of the flesh or in the work of man, try to solve now these cares and these anxieties. Humble yourself so that you can cast your care upon him. This is what he's telling us is to give him all your worries, <laughs> to give him all your anxieties right now, to give him all your problems over to God. That word anxieties or that word cares now is the state of being pulled apart. <laughs> Have you felt that, that way recently? that you're being pulled apart by tribulation, that you're being pulled apart by the trials, that you're being pulled apart by suffering, will cast that feeling, cast that care, cast that worry, cast that anxiety upon the Lord because he cares for you. You know what he's saying? Humble yourself and let him handle it. Humble yourself and let him handle it. I love that word, cast his care. You know what cast your care gives us a picture of, it's an illustration of someone that is rolling something over to God. Roll it over to God. <laughs> Not only does it mean that, but it, it, it speaks of someone almost as if casting or throwing a blanket over a horse. Just cast it over to the Lord and, and lay it upon him. Let him carry your burdens. Are you carrying your burdens right now? So he tells the church, the persecuted suffering church, cast discontent. Cast discouragement, cast despair, cast suffering in our lives, all past, all present, and all future, cast it over to the Lord. You know what oftentimes we want to do? We want to keep the little cares for ourselves. I'll cast these big cares, but the little cares I'll keep to myself, and I'll figure those things out. Notice when you keep the little cares, they soon will become big problems. They'll become big problems. And oftentimes the reason why we are facing big problems is because we haven't casted them over to the Lord. And we're struggling with these anxieties that God wants to carry for us. You know what it takes? It takes surrender. It takes humility. But notice he says, be loving shepherds. Be humble people. But notice the third exhortation, be watchful. Verse 8, let's look at it. And he says, be sober now or be watchful. Stay alert and stay vigilant. Notice this. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. 
You must be watchful. You must be vigilant because in times like the times that we're living in, the church is going to be tempted to compromise. The church is going to be tempted to give in. But we want to give in because times are becoming more difficult because of the pressure of the world and of the culture. We want to give in. But he says, notice, church, in the time that you're living, he gives them a warning to be self-controlled in the mind. You know where spiritual warfare begins? In the mind. And he says, be watchful now or stay alert. Verse 8, be sober, which means to be have a disciplined, clear mind. To think rationally, rationally and not foolishly. To have a strong confidence in his plan and to not live carelessly. How often times, because of the state and the environment around us, we begin to live carelessly. But he's saying here, be sober. Have a clear mind that you're not easily influenced by others. Are you easily influenced by someone else? He's saying in the last days, don't let nothing influence you. Have a clear, disciplined mind. And notice the next word he says, and be vigilant or watchful. Why watchful? So you can avoid spiritual pitfalls. Watchful so you would avoid things that make you stumble. Watchful so that you wouldn't enter not into temptation. Do you notice that when you stop watching, you will fall? <laughs> when you stop watching, you will enter the place of temptation? So he says, be submissive. Be humble now. Trust in God. Cast your care upon him. And then finally, what he tells them also, be sober-minded, have a clear mind, and be not influenced by the things of this world, and also be vigilant. Are you vigilant today? You know what the opposite of being vigilant is? It's to fall asleep. <laughs> and oftentimes the church cannot be vigilant because this church is spiritually sleeping. And when you're sleeping, notice what? The enemy takes advantage of your life. So he says, be watchful. In fact, he gives us that serious warning, and he says here at the later part of verse 8, because the devil, or because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. <laughs> recognize the enemy. When you're watchful, you can recognize the enemy. When, when a soldier is up at his post and he's looking around, you know what he's doing as he's watchful? He's searching for the enemy. And he can recognize the enemy coming to attack the dangers and the threats that are coming into his life or her life. So he's saying be watchful now because you have an adversary, an enemy. In fact, the word adversary is a legal term for a slanderer or an legal accuser and a, an opponent now who prowls around like a roaring lion. You see what a prowl is? It means that he's carefully searching who can, he can overtake. <laughs> as a lion that's going to overtake his prey. Be watchful so that you're not overtaken by the enemy. Because the enemy is cunning, the enemy is cruel, the enemy is a lion, and he's looking for someone to devour. You know what the enemy, our adversary, is doing? He's looking for opportunities to overwhelm the believer now with temptation. The enemy is looking for opportunities to overwhelm the believer now with persecution, with discouragement now. And then he attacks when the believer is least expecting and desires to completely destroy those who he attacks. That's what a lion does, a roaring lion. And he's sowing now division and discord now. 
Yes, we have an adversary, but how many of us know and praise God this morning because we also have an advocate? Amen. And his name is Jesus. And he's there to defend us, pleading our case at the very presence of the Father right now. Not only did he say to recognize the spiritual warfare or the tactics of the enemy, but also resist him. Do you see the encouragement here in verse 9? Resist him steadfastly in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. What is he saying? Recognize and then resist temptation. Resist sin. Remain faithful. Not run from it, but resist it. Not flee from it, but fight against spiritual warfare. Stand firm against it. Be strong in your faith. Why? Because there are other believers that are going through it as well. And he's saying stand and continue in the truth and in one accord, knowing what you believe in, knowing the truth, and obeying sound doctrine. How is it that you can stand fast in the faith in verse 9 that it speaks of? Steadfastly, how do you stand firm when you're planted on the word of God in prayer? You see, in the days that we're living in, we need to be st steadfast. Stand firm, immovable. Well, you're standing on the word of God in prayer. Knowing that the family of believers are experiencing the same suffering of others of the brotherhood in the world now that are believers as well. But notice what the order that he's given us. Before you can stand against the enemy, you know what you have to do? You have to bow before God. Humble yourself. If you humble yourself before the Lord, you can stand against the enemy. Because victory here begins when we're committed to God because he is greater than our enemy. What does the Bible say? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is why we have to remain submitted to God so that we can resist the wiles of the devil. And then finally, he says to be hopeful. Not only be loving, not only to be humble, also to be watchful, but finally be hopeful. Notice, what hope do we have? We have the hope that God's going to give us strength in the times that we're living in. Maybe you're suffering right now and you need hope. Well, here it is in verse 10. May the God of all grace who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, circle that, after you have suffered a while. Suffering is temporary. It's only for a little season. <laughs> Oftentimes we think, well, God, when are you going to take me out of this place of suffering? This trial is taking a long time. Well, here he gives them encouragement that the suffering that they're going through, it's only for a season in comparison to the eternal glory that they are going to receive. And for them to realize now as that they're personally being attacked by the enemy, God is also personally being perfected in them. After you've suffered a little while, notice here in verse 10, as we continue reading, may the God of grace who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, he would perfect, number one, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Isn't that hope that we receive today? That as you go to the Lord, guess what the God of all grace, in his grace, he meets every single one of your needs. This is why we can cast our cares upon him because he meets every single one of our needs. And he says that he may perfect you. You've been suffering, he can perfect you. That word perfect means like a doctor setting a broken bone back in its place. God can set back in place that which has been broken. <laughs> he's going to perfect you. In fact, not only that, he says it's, he's going to establish you. 
established, it speaks about a healing that makes us whole again. Not only mend what was broken, but also heal now what needs healing now and makes us whole. Do you need now to be whole today in Jesus Christ? Well, he offers that for us. And then he says, strengthen you. You know what strengthen means? is to make your way stable in spite of the instability around you. In spite of living in a world that now inflicts suffering upon us, we can be stable now. We can be steadfast. We can be immovable. What are the promises of God here? You know, oftentimes when we're going through suffering, we're so discouraged that we want to quit. We want to give in. And guess what happens? We fall into temptation. We enter it. But he's saying the grace of God gives you the strength to continue to go. And finally, look at the rest of the promise here and settle you. We need to be settled today. <laughs> settle speaks of a restoration. God's going to place you on a firm foundation and produce strength and character in you. This is amazing here because it's the God of grace. It's his grace to help us in every type of need. And if his grace is there to help us of every type of need, we don't have to be afraid of anything that he purposes in us. Because his grace is there to sustain us, to settle us, to make us stand firm. Notice verse 11. He continues, says, To him be the glory and dominion and power forever and ever. Amen. As I'm suffering, as we're suffering, you know what you can do? You can remember that God is in control. Do you see why he says this? God is in control of both the things of this world and God is in control of eternity. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That word amen is a Jewish practice now that's declaring that everything that has been said is true. Notice this. And that the hearers should be committed now to putting it into practice. So as we say amen today, not only are we receiving the truth, we're going to put it into practice now. And it says all power to God now, who is our defense, who is our hope, who is our worship and faithfulness. In fact, verse 12, he goes on and he says this as he gives his farewell to the church. After giving them hope, by Sylvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. What do you stand in? The grace of God. You see, what's the contrast? Peter understood the grace of God. There was at one point that Peter stood on his flesh, on his own confidence, and he fell when he denied Jesus. When we realize the grace of God, when you realize the goodness of God, you know what he was standing now during times of persecution? He was standing on the grace of God. When you stand on your flesh, you're going to fail. But when you stand on the grace of God, you're going to stand immovable. And this is what he's saying now. He understands what it means to stand. Verse 13, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, the church in Babylon. The church in the world <laughs> is greeting you now. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. What is he telling them? Farewell, church. I love you. Get, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, don't go after guys kissing all the girls with a holy kiss right now. <laughs> what he's saying, give one another a kiss with sincerity and give one another a kiss with humility, a greeting. It speaks about a greeting of humility. It speaks about a greeting with sincerity. And no, notice what he's telling them. He's encouraging them. God knows what he's doing, and he is in complete control. 
God knows what he's doing, and he's in complete control. This is why in the season that we're in, we can cast our cares and our burdens upon the Lord because he cares for us. He knows what he's doing. You may not know what you're doing and what's taking place, but as we face the new seasons that we're in in life, guess what we can do? Lord, we cast the anxieties, we cast the cares, we cast the opposition, we cast the doubt and discouragement upon you because you care for us. Because you can carry those burdens for us. Right? Now, I want to leave you with three main things before we close in prayer right now. To those that are going through trials and to us as a church as a whole. Number one, God has a future and he has a hope. How many of you guys believe that today? Amen. Not only does he have a future, but he has a hope for you and he has a future and he has a hope for this church. I've never believed it more than I believe it right now. That God has a future and God has a hope for us corporately and personally. In Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and out of evil to give you a future and a hope. I'm so blessed to know that God's faithfulness has been upon this church since day one, and he's always had a plan, a future, and a hope. But not only to us as his church, but to you personally. No matter what you're going through, he has a future and a hope for you as you come and submit to him. Notice this, even as we go on to this next season, number two, his plans are not your plans, and his ways are not your ways. Why? Because his way is better. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways are your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's so amazing to know that the Lord, as he has a future and a hope for us, his plans are much bigger than what our plans would ever be. <laughs> his plans for us are better than what our plans would be. And we have to trust the plans of God. Oftentimes, God leads us to places where we feel we're uncomfortable. God leads us to places where we don't want to go, but he's calling us to trust him right now and trust him tomorrow again. Why? Because his plans are not our plans, and his ways are much higher than our ways, says the Lord. And finally, number three, he is doing a new thing. You guys believe that this morning? Amen? He's doing a new thing. In Isaiah, it tells us, 43, behold, I'm doing a new thing. A new thing in this church. Shall you not know it? It shall spring forth right now. I'm going to make streams in the desert and a way in the road in the wilderness. He's doing a new thing. Notice, church, he wants to do a new thing. He is doing a new thing. And yes, we may be moving, and he's doing a new thing in us corporately. But listen to this. Please listen to this before we move. Is he doing a new thing in you personally? Is he doing a new thing in you personally? Because God cannot do a new thing in your life, if you're holding on to old things, he's told you to cast on him. And maybe right now, you want him to do a new thing in your life personally. But there are oftentimes things that we hold on to, and he can do something new if you're holding on to the old. So we're going to pray right now, and maybe there's something you need to cast to the Lord right now. You need to give him this burden that you've been holding on to. You want to cast it to the Lord 
And so Lord has a plan, as his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, as we're learning what it means to cast it. If you're here right now and you need to cast a burden upon him, just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I see your hand. I see your hand. In fact, what we're going to do right now is something special on this very last Sunday is if you need to cast something, just stand on your feet, come forward to the altar because we're going to pray right now together. God is going to do a new thing. We're going to cast it because we want the new thing. We want to be a part of it. We don't want to be left out. We want to be a part of the new thing. Come forward and scoot all the way in because we have people that are coming. We want to be a part of the new thing. The new thing only happens as we cast it upon you. Lord, Heavenly Father, we're here right now, Jesus. Because you're going to do a new thing. But because we can't do the new thing, Lord, holding on to that which you have called us to cast. And I pray whether it's pride, I pray whether it's anxiety, I pray whether it's discouragement, that right now, Lord, we would cast it upon you. Because you care for us. Because you care for us, Lord. There's no greater way to come to you but in humility, Lord. And we ask right now, Lord, you know that burden that we have in our heart, you know that thing that has been bothering us, that trial that we're facing right now, Lord, you have an answer. And you're going before us. But before we cross to the other side, we want to take care of it right now, today. Before we cross the Jordan, Lord, into all that you have for us, Jesus, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would do it right now. That we would cut off the flesh, Lord, to see victories that are taking place in the future of your church here. We cast it upon you because you care for us. When we pray right now and you pray with me, let's raise our hands to the Lord in humility and surrender. And say, Lord Jesus, your way is better. We trust your plan. We trust your word. Forgive us, Lord, of our sin. Forgive us for holding on to things you've called us to give up. We come to the cross. We come to the blood of the Lamb. Give us the courage. Give us the strength to live in submission, to live obediently. We trust in your plan, Jesus. We ask that you would do more than we can imagine, more than we think. Here we are, Lord. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we praise the Lord? Let's all stand right now. Why don't we all stand? You can return to your seat. We're going to sing this last song right now.